0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Dominic Booth and we're going to talk about Manchester United's fantastic Champions League win over Paris Saint-Germain in today's podcast. We'll also look ahead to this weekend's game against Chelsea, uh, talk a little bit about United's financial results and other matters as well. we made a little bit of a tactical switch for today's podcast. I'm joined by Rich Fay. Um how are you, Rich, taking this new role in the uh, in the podcast?
1: Yeah, I'm feeling good. I feel, feel a bit like Luke Shaw, actually. Maybe this might be my best position going forward. Who knows? I guess that's down to the fans, the managers to decide. But uh, yeah, excited to be on the podcast, excited to uh, maybe give more of my opinions today. But looking forward to it. Thank you for having me.
0: And one man whose role is unchanged is the Bruno Fernandez of this podcast. It's Tyrone Marshall. Welcome to you. Thank you. I'll take that comparison all day as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's
2: just a shame it's not a, a an appropriate one for your footballing skills as well. <laughs> well, okay, it's been a while, Dom. It's been a while. I might have improved in the uh, seven months since we last played Fiverr Side. You might have done, yeah. Let's let's hope we get a glimpse of you in action sometime soon.
0: Anyway, on to the professional game and Manchester United, more importantly. And well, that's just a fantastic fantastic result, but also a fantastic performance against Paris Saint-Germain, winning two one that late Marcus Rashford strikes, uh, securing the deserved win really. Was that your your take on it, Rich, that that was a completely merited three points in the Champions League?
1: Absolutely. And if you think about the threats that PSG actually had throughout the game, I mean, they've scored through an own goal. The last two goals United have conceded have both been own goals. So, Defence has actually been much better than than it looks maybe on paper because they've not had clean sheets in their last two games or even going back before international break, it's longer than that. But United's defence was hardly troubled really against PSG. They were sort of having pot shots and Mbappe and Neymar were, were bullied off the ball. They hardly had a sniff. United's team selection was spot on. Solskjaer got it absolutely right and he was slaughtered on social media before the game and when the team dropped because... It just looked mad, maybe the team he was playing with. Twanzeby's first start of the year, first start in 10 months. and McTominay over Van der Beek and, and Paul Pogba, maybe less of a contentious one. But Matic, certainly he's been good in these big games. But Solskjaer deserves all the credit. I know after the game, Rashford gave him a, a lot of credit in his post-match interview, saying that he was maybe the, the unsung hero, the one who deserves the real credit for, for what he did, because he put his neck on the line again and he got it absolutely spot on. In a big game But I think it was A free hit for United I don't think PSG Are quite as good As maybe some people Were saying They were pre-match I know they got to the uh, The final last year And and they did show Some character When they beat Atalanta Particularly in, in that Quarter-final tie But PSG they usually start the seasons quite slow, quite sloppy. Ironically, that's probably when they play their best football in Choppers League because I think was it was last season they absolutely batted Real Madrid in the group stage. But yeah, this this year they look a bit off it again and they just they just didn't look up for it. United would still had to beat them though, still had to turn up and I think United got it absolutely spot on.
0: Yeah, the Parc de Prans seems to be uh, Marcus Rashford's playground and obviously you mentioned there, Rich, some of the real key performers for United: Axel Twanzabi, David de Gea, uh, Fred and
2: McTominay in midfield. Who stood out most for you, Tyrone? Um, it probably have to be Zabi really, just because of the circumstances. You know, the fact that he'd not played in in ten months. His his last game was against Colchester, and suddenly you're thrown in against Paris Saint Germain and against that front line and and Bappe and Neymar and in those circumstances. And he, you know, he was just absolutely outstanding in a defence that's been pretty ropey this season in a defence without its natural leader in Maguire who you know although he's not been great he is probably still United's best centre-half considering what they've got at the club and to be pitched in in those circumstances uh, I thought he was absolutely superb and he he looked like he could well be the answer to to Maguire's long-term partner there and you'd have to say I, I mean I thought it was good performances all across the pitch it was Arguably one of, if not the most complete performance of, of the Solskjaer era. Really, you compare that with, you know, the, the sort of fortunate nature of the winning in Paris in March 2019, and it, it was night and day, really. But if we had to pick one star man, then I think for me it would it would be Twan Yeah, quite a story
0: for him, and maybe quite a dilemma now for for United having. Looked at their defense before the Paris Saint Germain game. You you would have said it was really struggling with options. Baye ruled out for a, for a few weeks. Maguire out of the game and and fifty fifty I think for this weekend against Chelsea. What is United's best back line at the moment, Rich? What is it? A three at the back? Is it a four at the back? And and who plays?
1: Yeah, it's interesting one. There. I mean, I guess it does always depend on your opposition, uh, as we said. Um, maybe two podcasts ago, um, where United were going to Newcastle. There was argument to go five at the back, but it just sends out a bad message. And in the end, Newcastle away was a flat back four, as you'd expect. But in these big games, I think United have to go five at the back. All their best results under Solskjaer are with the two wing backs. And, you know, you've got Teles now on the left who is an actual wing back. And to be fair to him, wan is getting better going forward. He's still not the complete article and he's still far better defensively. But, you know he he had a really good game as well i think he deserves a lot of credit for for the way that he played because you think about the last time united played psg it was eric Bayer right back this time it was wan pasaka and he's arguably united's best right back for for the last decade really but i think if you talk about united's best lineup i guess if you're going for a best lineup that's a team which can beat any team in the world and i think if united want to go head-to-head with the real big boys and to, to have a statement, they've got to go with five at the back. So for me, it's De Gea and goal. And then you've got Telles and Wambasaka as your full-backs. And then I'd probably have to say Luke Shaw, left centre-back, Harry Maguire. And then it's between Lindelof or Twanzebi for the right centre-back role, maybe. I'd still maybe just go with Lindelof, which I know sounds absolutely mental after how good Twanzebi played. But Twanzebi still, I think only played about 19 times United in the first team. So although he set the benchmark, the key for him is now to keep the fitness and to keep improving. If Twanzami can prove that that is his actual sort of level that he can perform at regularly, then guarantee he has to start every game. But for me, I'm still maybe a bit hesitant to, to say he has to start every single game just because, like you said, that the extraordinary circumstances of the game and how long he's been out for.
0: Yeah, saying Wan Bissaka United's best uh, right back in a decade. They throwing shade at Raphael there, Rich. I, I can't, I can't go down with that one. Um, but no, well, Twanzebi, Raphael's got
1: the chance. In is it, it three well, weeks? Uh, you can yeah. prove, you can prove me wrong. So there's the gauntlet, Raphael. Yeah,
0: see what he does at <laughs> uh, Istanbul. But Swansea, I think you you make a good point there, Rich. That we've seen false dawns before from from players at United, especially young players bursting onto the scene and and then fading away. Is it? Is it sort of give you more confidence, Tyrone, that Twanzebe does appear to be a leader. He is a player that Solskjaer will keep giving chances to, and he's in a position where he can make it his own in the, over the next few weeks and
2: months if if he keeps stringing together those kind of performances. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I would disagree with Rich, and I would I would be playing Twanzebe alongside Maguire at the moment, presumably he's fit. I, I think. He deserves the chance. Neither Lindelof or Baye have convinced in that role. Twanzibi has the pace which you, you kind of feel United need next to Maguire at the moment. Um and I think it's just worth the go that United have struggled to find a natural partner for Maguire. And Twanzibi has got to be worth the go, especially on the back of, of that performance. And like I say, his recovery pace could be could be pretty valuable. It it is hard to judge on one outstanding performance as, as good as he was in very difficult circumstances. And, and Richard's right that he does need to. String a run together now, and, and that's something he's not really been able to do. He's obviously had a lot of injury issues, and you know, United have got enough, enough centre halves with, with injury concerns at the moment. And centre halves are always injured without having another one, so we needs to prove we can stay fit as well. But you know, Soscar loves him really. Soscar's always raved about him. Let's not forget, he made him captain a year ago in, in that game against Rochdale, and there might have been kind of a show of faith in him really, making him captain that young, but he clearly values what he can bring, he values his leadership, and considering that that the centre of defence has been so uncertain, then I think he's got to be worth a go. You know, Richard, you've probably got to keep, keep with the back four for most games, but they've proven they can play in that back three, and the three almost gives them more flexibility, really. Now they've got Teles who can play that, wing-back role in in a much better fashion. He's far better in that wing-back role than than someone like Shaw or even Brandon Williams. Um, So that gives them flexibility. You've obviously got Shaw, who can play left-sided centre-back. I mean, Scott McTominay's been playing right-sided centre-back for Scotland in a back three, so you've always got that option there. The back three might allow you the chance to get two of Pogba, Fernandes and Van der Beek in the same team. So what that system does do, I guess, is, is open up other options for Solskjaer in terms of trying to get his best players in into the team.
0: Yeah, I think it might solve the the fact that they haven't got a natural right winger as well. I know Mason Greenwood has played that role, but you obviously don't need a right winger. It, it might suit the fact that, that Rashford and Martial like to play down the middle together as well. And then, like you say, uh, Cavani come into the mix and Tellez seems to suit it as well. But let's move slightly into midfield and, and the performances of Fred and McTominay Rich. They also give a bit of a, a dilemma, I guess, for Solskjaer going forward, because midfield is one area United seem to have a, an embarrassment of riches at the moment. Van der Beek can't even get a start for love nor money. You've got Matic who we haven't seen for a little while. We've got Pogba coming off the bench in the last two or three games. I mean, what do you see what do you see as the best midfield going forward? Or is it again another situation where United have to pick and choose depending on the on the games?
1: Well, I think I'll let you uh, rave about Fred mostly, Dom, because I know how much you love him and you, you right, rightfully should do after this week because he's been fantastic. But I guess maybe the reality check that we might have to have ourselves is that we've always been saying who is Matic's successor long term. I guess maybe the thing is that it's Fred and McTominay together. You know, when United need yeah. to be a bit more compact, need, need to be a bit more defensive, it's not a case of one or the other. It's a case of them both together. and. You know that was probably the most contentious selection in the midfield because van der Beek has not done a thing wrong since he moved to United but you could argue that he's been used perfectly by Solskjaer because obviously there's certain games where they may be needed his attacking threat a bit earlier on in the game but United's in these big games now after this international break they've Got a selection spot on against Newcastle took a, took a while to come to them and against PSG they've been perfect again and it's looking like a real creditable alternative now. Uh, Fred and McTominay because again we look back uh, 19 months ago when they went to PSG away and it was Fred and McTominay in centre midfield with Andres Pereira on the left and Ashley Young on the right and they were they were in midfield together because there was no one else to play there because Herrera was out and Pogba was out but now they're arguably you know, they're starting games on merit because they're good enough to do so. So I think when United play this system particularly, I think they've got to both start because they have that mixture of mobility and sort of defensive nous between them. And I don't think either of them individually offers what Matic does defensively, but together they do. So when United play these games, I think Fred and McTominay are the first choice partnership in, in the in the base of midfield. But again, if United are playing this more Four orthodox four-two-three-one one that they've been using with Bruno Fernandes further up and I think it's still a case of, of maybe Pogba and Diver McTominay or Fred whoever seemed fit but a big positive is the fact that you know I haven't missed Matic and you know before well especially after lockdown he was one of the first names on the team sheet he, he wasn't undroppable and I was raving about Matic how he transformed his career but again he now looks like maybe he's the one who's, who's bottom of the pile
0: yeah an interesting change up in the in the pecking order maybe. and and I saw some running stats in the PSG game. and I think the the three uh, players who covered the most ground in the game were Fred, McTominay and Fernandez. So perhaps no surprise on that one tie and and I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna stop you from praising Fred either, but I did see some comments mm-hmm. from Troy Deeney this morning saying uh, that they that Watford used to target Fred when they played against him, that he takes too many touches on the ball. Uh, I thought it was absolute nonsense, to be honest. I think he moves the ball quicker than maybe any of United's midfielders, bar probably Fernandes.
2: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, Troy Deeney chatting nonsense. Who who would possibly have thought it? I think it's, yes, it's exactly. summed up by the radio station that's, that signed him up really this week, I would say. He is uh, he's very much a rent-a-quote for, for footballers these days. Um, yeah, I think Fred and McTominay are quite weird in that on their own, they're both okay on their own, but together they look to be really good. They really seem to complement each other, and they're a very good partnership. They're almost better together. But by playing them together, it, it, it kind of limits Chalghar's options elsewhere and the midfield. And getting the balance right in midfield is probably the. And you know, we talk about the defense, the mid. It's different with the midfield, and there's so many options you want to get on the pitch, but at the moment it's just almost impossible to do so. If you're going to play Fred and McTominay, then. Really, you can only play one of Van Beek, Pogba, and Fernandes unless you move one of them out wide, which I think is a realistic option this weekend. Um, I mean, Pogba's been really good off the bench twice this week, but on both occasions, he's come on and played much closer to the opposition area. In the starts he's had when he's played in a deep midfield position this season, he's been pretty poor. He doesn't influence games and he gives his defence no protection either, which is a pretty terrible combination. So the issue is kind of how to, how to fit your best midfielders in the team at the moment, but for the sake of balance, Fred and McTominay seems to be the ideal partnership. It just means you might have to have Pogba and Van der Beek on the bench and Van der Beek, I mean, everyone, Pogba, Matic, Fred and McTominay have all got a game in defensive midfield ahead of Van der Beek this season. So it seems pretty clear at the moment that Solskjaer doesn't trust him to play a deeper role. So it kind of limits his options in in terms of how he can use Van der Beek and he's got to come off the bench, but at least gives United some, some serious weapons. And when we talk about their their lack of strength in depth, which is true to a degree. But then twice this week, they've been drawing games in the final quarter and have brought on an eighty nine pounds World Cup winner to, to change the game. So by having Pogba and Van der Beek on the bench, at least you've got some some serious options to to try and do something when you need to change a game and, and need to go and win a game. Yeah, uh, I
0: don't think midfield isn't one of those areas, is it, where people have been highlighting a, a lack of depth. It's, it's probably the only one. Or maybe the mm. other one is uh, the goalkeeping position with uh, David De Gea probably producing his best performance in the United goal for some time against Paris Saint-Germain, a couple of key saves from Mbappe. He seems to really be benefiting from the return of Dean Henderson and a proper challenger to his position, Rich. Do you you see this as a a real boost for De Gea, the fact that Henderson has come back and has almost given him a a bit of a wake-up call?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Hayes has taken his love performance back to a level that he sort of feared was gone. We didn't think he could play as well, really, and as consistently as he has done as well. You think about almost every game of the season, he's produced at one, at least one big save, even if the result's not necessarily gone the way that they wanted. You know, he made a big save at Newcastle from Callum Wilson, which seemed like an inevitable goal. Um, he didn't have too much to do against PSG, but the save from Mbappe early on in the, in the second half certainly sort of set. The, settled the nerves for United anyway and, and prove that they've, you know this, I mean we talk about how good the centre-backs have, have been maybe in this last week but it, it probably stems from the trust in De Gea again and I think that having a, a serious threat in Dean Hanson really has helped because even if you look back to that first half season when Solskjaer was in charge and De Gea had a real stinker towards the end, he had a howler against Chelsea, there was sloppy goals against Huddersfield, Cardiff he wasn't dropped for for either of those games uh, towards the end and they were, they were nothing matches so you know it's it's difficult because now De Gea does generally have a player who could replace him in the league you never sensed that Romero was going to get a league start even if he was the cup goalkeeper and when he was dropped for the semi-finals of the FA Cup in Europa League it cemented Romero's role as, as just being there for when David De Gea needs a rest but Dean Henderson isn't there just to ease the pressure on David De Gea. Dean Henderson's there because he wants to be United's number one. He wants to be England's number one, and he's good enough. He generally is good enough for both of those roles. But you can't can't be United's number one when David De Gea has been flawless so far this season. So you know De Gea knows now that if he makes one mistake, he's out of the team. That was never the case with Romero. But uh, you know,
0: it's an yeah, interesting I, dilemma I,
1: now for how the season goes. But De Gea has been flawless. So you can't drop him.
0: Yeah, I think Solskjaer was probably too generous on the hair. wasn't he, Wasn't he during that that period where he was making all those mistakes? And Romero was probably good enough to to come in really. And Romero, we now see him left in in limbo really, and uh, and not registered for the for the squads and all that kind of thing. But um, I guess the next challenge for United States now is how do they, how do they replicate this performance from, from front to back against another tough team in Chelsea at the weekend, Solskjaer, they did seem to have a bit of the hoodoo over Lampard last season until that FA Cup semi-final that you mentioned there, Rich. But is this an, another five-at-the-back blueprint that United need to go for, Tyrone? Is it,
2: is it as simple as replicating the PSG performance against Chelsea? Um, possibly not. Um, I mean, I think the PSG were incredibly open. The PSG midfield was poor on paper and poor on the pitch. And it, it fell, especially second half, every time United won the ball, the counter-attack was on. And arguably, they should have scored more than two goals, really. You'd imagine Chelsea would be wise to that. Um, it's a difficult one, really. I mean, Solskjaer seems to have been more reluctant to use the back three since United found that rich vein of form, kind of from February onwards. I think this is the first time he's possibly been back to it. So... um I mean, at least there's options there for him now, and you'd imagine Lampard will have, I mean, we've got no idea what system he's going to play, and Lampard will really even have no idea either until the team sheet drops, which is at least encouraging for, for Solskjaer. I think I'll be tempted to go back to a back four and, and kind of play that 4-2-3-1 again. Um, but I, I think it's a tight call, which which is encouraging for, for Solskjaer. And it's a game United yeah. should be winning, or, or certainly can win. I mean, there was a lot of talk about Chelsea being potential title challenges and things like that, but... At the moment, they look a pretty average side with all their new signings. So, I think this is probably a good time to play them and to try and take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, United played, I think, a five at the back away at Chelsea twice last season in the League Cup Mm. and in the league at Stamford Bridge. won both games. They played a 4-2-3-1 and won 4-0 the opening game of the season. So, I guess it could could go either way. Um, I guess whether Maguire comes back in, Rich, is whether you fit Pogba and Van der Beek in there. It's whether you get Cavani in the side. There's there's a few players to come into this uh, this team. Greenwood as well, depending on whether he's available.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, Maguire's probably two of his best games for United were in those Chelsea games last season, uh, in the league particularly. I mean, his debut was fantastic. United rode the luck a bit defensively that day. But if you look at how far the two teams have come since that, that hammering on the opening day of, of last season, you know, United... I mean, it, it. They used to be sort of even on paper in terms of midfield, but I think United's midfield is far beyond Chelsea's now. I think the attacking line is is interesting. You know, Chelsea if Pulisic is is firing again, is going to be a real, uh, real threat to United. And it's just it's just annoying cause the last because, like you said, Solskjaer has been so much better than Lampard in their meetings. But Lampard really did a job on Solskjaer in that uh, FA Cup semi-final meeting between the two sides before you know they were beaten in the final anyway. I I think United have to sort of put the memories of that Tottenham game to bed and prove they've got a big game performance against a domestic rival in them this weekend. So although I understand totally why most fans would want to see the five at the back, I think United just have to go out and play that that 4-2-3-1 and be a bit more expansive and just try to pick Chelsea off because this is a Chelsea side who conceded three against Southampton last week. And no offence to Southampton, but... You know, if, if Chelsea can see them free against them, then United really should fancy their chances. Their defence looks a bit suspect. Um, they had a boring draw in the, Europa, uh, in the Champions League Sorry, on the same night United beat PSG. So I don't think United should fear Chelsea and I think it sends out a, a wrong message and gives them too much credit if they if they do set up that way. I understand why Solskjaer might do, but personally for me, I, I just, I'd play the 4-2-3-1 formation and just go for it.
0: It'll be an interesting while. I'm just going to break before we, we get your predictions for the Chelsea game, and, and we'll have to talk a little bit about the financial results that have come out this week regarding United uh, posting uh, huge debts. In, in, is the best way I can put it. And I can't be expected considering the, the impacts of the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Ed Woodward, though, made a statement saying, insisting that they had backed are going to show in the transfer market. I guess it's an interesting time to talk about this Tyrone because United are playing Chelsea this weekend, Chelsea did not seem to struggle with their budget um, spending money in the transfer window whereas United's revenue dropped considerably. They posted mm-hmm. uh, huge debts. What do you what do you make of the situation? What do you make of, of Woodward's comments?
2: I mean, I guess he was always going to defend the club's transfer strategy and you know he, he is right when he points to clubs abroad that haven't spent much. You, you look at the big clubs abroad and the likes of Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, um, Barcelona, I think maybe Juventus he mentioned, they have spent very, very little. I think I don't think Real Madrid signed anyone. So, United are, are not the only club to have not spent a fortune this summer. Um, Chelsea are obviously outliers in that, but it's worth remembering that Chelsea had a transfer ban last summer and then didn't sign anyone in January. So, they've basically got two years' worth of, of transfer cash. Lying around, if you will, to spend. So he's got a point in that. Um, it's not going to make the fact that they didn't sign Sancho and not only that they didn't sign Sancho, but you know they, they were given the runaround by Borussia Dortmund over Sancho, really. You can understand them not signing him and not wanting to pay more than £100 million for him. I mean, no one paid £100 million plus for a player in, in this transfer window. So United aren't alone. Well, Chelsea got
0: closed with Kai Havertz, didn't they? That was
2: the, they got, that was they the thing.
0: The Chelsea close. probably spent
2: the most out of anyone. Yeah, they did, they did. But then, like you say, Chelsea didn't spend a penny last summer when United were spending 150-odd million or whatever. So they they would have had more money lying around. Um, The the biggest issue with Sancho, not that they didn't sign him, but the way they were given the run-around by Dortmund and basically made to look like amateurs in the transfer market, which is a recurring theme. So I guess it was inevitable that Woodward was going to defend it and say we are still investing in the team. Um, But I I think it's less an issue they didn't sign Sancho and, and more that sort of notion in the transfer market and in negotiations that, that they seem to lack compared to a lot of other European clubs.
0: Yeah, point, £474.1 million pounds of debt posted by uh, United. And an interesting stat is that they made £5.5 million pounds uh, in match day revenue from April to June, I don't quite know where that's come from, considering there were no crowds. But they usually make 20, £23.8 million pounds in the same period. So United are feeling the effects of the uh, of the pandemic, but they're still very commercially viable. Rich, they're still making big money from TV money. United fans right to uh, to disagree with Woodward's comments and say that club clubs should still be spending.
1: I think that, you know, I think the fact that there's this running theme that United are spending, they usually spend so much more when they don't qualify for the Champions League that the frustration's there because United were third best in the Premier League last season, but still when your opponents and your close rivals are spending quite big and you're looking at the improvement, not only at Chelsea, but. I know it seems a bad time to praise them, but Tottenham spent quite well. Arsenal have recruited decently and you know, obviously Everton and Aston Villa are even both up there. And I think Villa even had a bigger net spend than United this summer um, and they kept Jack Grealish. So there's obviously issues when you compare it to certain clubs, but you've got to look at the wider picture. And you even look at that United fans might have been pleased with Saint-Sancho, but... We talk about the PSG game, would he have started? I don't know how he fits into that 3-5-2. Um the games United have lost a season, the Tottenham game wouldn't have been solved with Jayna Sancho in the starting lineup. United had to be quite wise, had to be quite sensible. And for me, I don't want to I know this is a quick maybe a statement which will get me lots of hate and be like, you're a glazer mouthpiece, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that the the teams that have been there and done that that have this maybe long pedigree in Europe have been a bit more sensible in this summer window because it is so unpredictable. And a couple of months ago, it looked like we were well on course to have fans back this month. But now, you know, it's until March next year, at the very earliest. So we really don't know what's going to happen with the wider sort of world situation. Um, these revenues could keep going down, debts could rise, et cetera. So I think United have to be quite cautious in the transfer window. And of course, it's all about the results on the pitch. Uh, United still should have enough to get the top four this season. Um, when you look at the quality that's elsewhere in the league, you know that's that's got to be the bare minimum for United. And if you look at the other two teams that were above them last season, you know Liverpool and Man City, neither of them have set the world alight so far. You know, I have to close the gap on them, regardless. Um, I can understand firm frustration. Um, but you can also have to take a step back sometimes and see it from the club's point of view. But you know, ultimately, they'll pay the price if United don't achieve their targets this season. So, just wait and see on that one, really. But I think it probably is maybe a bit too soon to just hammer the transfer business this summer because it's been poor in place, and they've, you know, the, the annoying thing isn't what United have spent; it's the fact that they've gone against their cultural reset with the players they brought in, and the fact that they brought someone like Donny van der Bacon who's not even in the starting lineup. I think they're the questions that need to be asked rather than, why didn't United sign Sancho?
0: Yeah, and I we'll guess we'll, we'll see if, uh, if Chelsea fail to make the top four after the amount they've spent and they, they come back into into some sort of debt, then maybe that will be United's uh, approach vindicated. But let's go back on the pitch for the last bit of the podcast. I want a, I want a prediction from each of you. Samuel usually shies away from this when, when we have him on the podcast, but I want... Full blown commitment uh, and some bold predictions from both of you, please,
2: for this game. Um, Ty, do you want to go? First? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea step been, into the step into the vortex. Ty, come on! Yeah, I think Chelsea have beat them on on, on current form. They don't they don't look like uh, a cohesive side yet. I think they're still very much a work in progress, and this should be a good time to to play them. So I'm gonna go for United two one, but. It'd just be nice for you know the Real United to show themselves for a for a length of time now because they are they're almost a football club beyond analysis at times the the way they're, they're going about things you know you think back to how negative everything was two weeks ago after defeat to Tottenham and, and the mood now after two impressive away wins and you know they are just such a mad confusing football team at the moment so it'd be nice if they just strung together some straightforward victories really and, and showed us they were on the right path. Can the
0: real Manchester United please stand up? Tyrone channeling his inner Eminem there. Um uh, there. Rich, how about you? What do you make of it? What, you, what are you saying for this one?
1: I was trying to think of some absolutely awful uh, M&M reference, but I, I don't think I can do that at the moment. <laughs> um,
0: You're not afraid to, to make a prediction?
1: No, I was going to stand Tyrone Marshall and go for something similar, but
0: I right. don't know.
1: Um okay, yeah let's leave that while we can I think United um, you know we've, we've spoken in the past about Solskjaer um, sort of getting his form together when he needs to if United were I mean the positivity is as high as it, as it probably will be all season at the moment but if you look at these next three games Chelsea, Leipzig, Arsenal you know in a week and a half time it could be doom and gloom again and everything could be up against the wall and it could be a horrible atmosphere around the club but I, I don't think Chelsea are as frightening as some people make them out to be at all. I think United, you know, they've got to just play their game. We've seen some mad results this season, but I think United should have enough in the tank. Like I said, I think the Tottenham game's got to be playing on their mind a bit. Um, you know, they, they can't make the same mistakes they did that day. They were so bad at the back. But I think if Harry Maguire returned, and, you know, I think be on form will we'll have to start, even if I don't think maybe long term he's proven himself enough yet. But, you know, there's the caveat to that. But, I'd say United 3-Chelsea won this weekend.
0: Big, big calls. I think I'm going, going to be, for a change, the voice of pessimism and say I think it'll be a draw. I don't see uh, United maybe stringing together three big performances together in the, in the space of a week, but I guess we'll see how that one pans out. Um, thank you both, Tyrone and Rich, for your contributions to today's podcast.
1: Thank you very much
2: for having us. Pleasure, thank you.
0: And we will be back for another one of these podcasts very, very soon. Don't forget, you can leave us a like and a subscribe if you can on the Manchester Israel podcast channel. Listen to it wherever you get your usual podcasts. And don't forget to follow the Manchester Evening News for all the latest on United as we build up to this weekend's game against Chelsea. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you again soon.